Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. We live in a world today where pretty much a lot of us are being sold ideas, things, you name it, whatever it is, there is someone that is selling us something out there today. And oftentimes, salespeople, especially car salesmen and real estate agents, sometimes get a bad rep. And and you know what? Some for good reason, right? But what if you could actually change that bad and negative stigma and turn it into something really, really positive because selling itself shouldn't be perceived as something that is bad, like I'm going to get something from you and just leave you in the lurch. What if you could sell something with actual authentic love? Is that really possible? Well, my guest today is actually a friend of mine. I have been on his podcast before talking about rejection. His name is Jason Mark Campbell. Now, Jason is the author of Selling with Love, which we do discuss during this conversation, Earn with Integrity and Expand Your Impact. He's on a mission to inspire small business owners with sales reluctance to embrace it as a beautiful activity that transforms lives. He's also interviews thought leaders from around the world on topics of leadership, team building, communication, productivity, and so much more. Jason is a great interviewer. I know. I was interviewed by him. He has also uh, shared the stage with the likes of Gary V, Jason Silver, Vishen Lakihani, Lisa Nichols, and many, many more. Jason has also worked for Mind Valley, a personal growth ed tech company for seven years. He's responsible for million-dollar product launches, handling the PR for New York Times bestselling authors and book launches, the very first membership platform selling thousand people one month long events and bringing it top level authors to be published by the company. Jason still is the author and host on the same platform. His mission is all about teaching companies to care more as businesses have so much power in the capitalist world. If we can educate businesses to take more 
of responsibility of how they sell, how they market, how they treat their employees, and even how they invest their money. We start shifting the very planet into a better place for all. And I totally agree with, with Jason on this front, having been in the field of sales for a very long time. I know what it's like and what a lot of the, the teachings are out there when it comes to selling things. So my friends, this is going to be a very fun conversation. If you are interested in being a better sell, salesperson uh, or just being a better person in general, this is definitely a conversation you will love. Don't forget before you go to subscribe, click that plus symbol on Apple Podcasts if you are using Apple Podcasts and don't miss another episode ever again. We release or I release three episodes a week and I am trying my best to bring you guys more exciting and fun content and stories every single week for you to learn as much as you possibly can. This episode is brought to you by my amazing friend, Mary Ruth from Mary Ruth Organics. You can get 15% off their all their products when you go to maryruthorganics.com and type in J15, that is J15 at checkout, and you can get 15% off on all of their incredible products. I'll leave the link in the show notes below so you know where to find it but help take control of your own health by doing the best thing for it in either uh, taking some incredible supplements from Mary Ruth Organics. They're all organic. She doesn't use any crap in, in any of her, her products. So you know that you're getting some quality uh, items. And there's some also other incredible products on the site as well. So you have a lot to choose from and you get 15% off as well. So why not go wild? All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories from my friend, Jason Mark Campbell. Hey, thanks for having me and thank you for the intro. Yeah, well, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> In a matter Even of though speaking, reluctance, reluctance was a struggle, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got past that word. I don't know what happened with my brain there. Kind of like drew a mental blank with that word. It, it's something similar happened to me with, with Vision Lakihani. I couldn't say his last name and he was trying to tell me like a number of times how to pronounce it. Still bug, buggered it up. <laughs> but um, thanks so much, man, for your, for your time today. Really looking forward to diving and unboxing more of your story. Um, now, this is like your turn to be interviewed by me, but the very first question I have for you, my friend, before we dive further into your backstory and all the things you're doing is what does success look like for you? Mm. Yeah, when when you start thinking about success, it meant a lot of different things as I grew older. And you know, there's uh, you know, there was the chase in the twenties. It felt like I had some like benchmarks I needed to hit, whether it was financial, um, well, primarily financial. <laughs> let's be honest. I just want to make money. Just want to feel good and all that. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about success, I I feel very blessed because I've I've done a lot of goal methodologies you know, being so involved in personal growth. And what I've started to notice is that when my goal list starts becoming more like a habit list, I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to what success would look like for me. And this has been a bit of a realization I've seen happening more this year. It's been like six years that I've been having these accountability calls, looking at my goals, setting them, talking with people that support me every single week. And that's been quite a discipline that I've done for a while. And this was the big thing this year as I looked at it and I was like, wow, a lot of what I have 
as goals. I have business goals. That's great. But most of what I have are what are the daily habits I want to be able to live a life that I'm so proud of. And it comes with freedom. It comes with, you know, connections, the right people, lifestyle, but, uh, success looks like goals looking more like your daily habits. Why are goals or setting goals in particular, uh, important in the first place or are they important? Again, I had philosophy changes as I grew older. And it's so funny because I look back at a blog post I wrote, I think this was back in, must've been 2012. So call it 10 years ago. And I was like, who needs to set goals? And it was all about like, why set goals? It's very constrictive. Why not just like be in the flow, be in the state. And, you know, as I started working more, you know, and growing myself, uh, I started realizing that actually there's a lot of liberation that comes from goals, especially today, uh, we have a bit of that paradox of choice and it causes a lot of hesitancy and a lot of paralysis because you start thinking, which direction should I go? And one way that I was addressing this before was like, well, don't pick anything and just, you know, see where you get inspired and guided and, you know, call the for maybe manifest. And it was much more flowy, but to be honest, there's this beautiful magic that happens when you pick a goal, which is, Well, yeah, if you decide to be in flow, you will float where the natural river is going and you'll end up something beautiful. It'll be part of your experience as well. But oh my God, when I started actually doing goals and setting kind of, you know, objectives, then it's, it's like the whole universe started working with me to make me get there faster. And so I found it was very powerful because even if one of the goals you set isn't perfect, it's not even the goal after a year, you're like, well, I don't even know why I want this you get to find that out quicker and do much more learning and progress in the process. And so I found them very useful to bring me to where I am now. What are some of your daily habits that help set you up for a better day? Like do you meditate, you get up early and how do they help inform those goals you were talking about? You know, it's funny, as you mentioned this, I'm uh, I'm pulling up my own sheet. Um, so I actually do have these things called daily rituals mm. and um, setting them are actually really powerful. And then following them are even more powerful. <laughs> and I make that distinction because I do set some powerful goals and I've seen the interviews or the YouTube videos. They're like, guess what? I wake up at 5 AM. I do this. I never skip that. I, I don't do shit till I do that. And it's like, uh, great, like inspiring. And maybe on my side, I, I, I appreciate some of my more human emotional variabilities. So when I share these, I don't want people to think like, wow, I need to do all this all the time or else I'm a failure. But again, just like goal setting, you set them and then you do your best to honor it and realize and measure how do they make you feel? And so with that, I'm looking at it and, you know, I have what I have my daily morning musts, which are meditation, journal, writing, reading, breath work working out, which could include, you know, a day that I don't want to work out, this could include just taking a walk, uh, or it could just be doing pushups at home or going for a run or doing yoga. And I have don't hit snooze, just get up. Those are the daily morning musts. Then I have things which I call like, you know, daily temptations to resist, which I rate myself. I have daily power moves, which are things that I can do throughout the day that really make me go like, all right, this was a great day, such as going to bed early uh, scheduling every time of my day and doing exactly what my schedule said I was going to do. So those, I call them the daily power moves. Well, I mean, I get up early, I work out, I meditate, I do all those sort of things. 
all before the sun has even risen. And I notice the the sheer joy and help that I get throughout my day because I've done those habits early in the morning. There's just something about it. I don't know if you felt the same thing. And I notice that if I don't do it, then something I might have whack. Like I just don't feel right. Um, I don't have you felt the same thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I, I found it actually, I find it very difficult because, you know, I just launched my book and in the process leading up to this, I've been doing a lot of different interviews and, you know, I have a lifestyle here in Bali, Indonesia, which means time zone wise, I have a lot of times I need to do interviews really early in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I also have to do interviews very late at night. And yeah, just like you said, that this has been particularly a week where I had some interviews that went till, you know, uh, 1230 AM in the, you know, late at night. And then my next interview was at 530 in the morning. And so I skipped these routines and in the afternoon I'm crushed, you know, and it's like, I have a bit of lack of sleep. Uh, I can't, you know, I am not finding myself doing these habits, which I know put me in that state, as you mentioned, that just makes you such a better performer. Um, but you know, again, I have a bit of empathy, a bit of compassion and understanding. And, you know, it'd be nice if life was always this steady path, right? But I find that there's actually the waves of amplitude, which sometimes it's crunch time and it's okay. Like, yeah, I'm drinking coffee and, you know, whether you're with coffee or not, you know, unfortunately, I am one of those coffee drinkers, but you're going to be, you know, maybe supplementing yourself with, you know, caffeine in this case, working, maybe sleeping a little less, not the healthiest, but there's something important that I need to accomplish. And it's okay, but it's not sustainable because you have to understand that then there's going to be a time where I'm going to allow myself to relax, rebuild all these habits. And steadily, I feel that you start getting these habits better and better. And you start putting boundaries around your time so you can honor that even more. Because like you said, it just makes you better human, really, in the way that you show up for everything in life. It really does. And for my audience that are listening to this, Jason was very, very gracious with me today, or he has been very gracious with me and my blunt ups. <laughs> so, you know, he, he does, he is honest. And, uh, what, what he did say that he, being empathetic, I mean, I am grateful for that. So thank you so much, man. That's just from my heart. And I really do appreciate everything you just said, cause I resonate, I relate to it uh, so much. So, um, so I want to dive a little bit deeper into your own backstory for a moment. Give my audience some context before we go into your book and all the other things you're doing. So what did, how was your, your life growing up? Did you go to university at all? Um, so what were some of the challenges you grew up with and what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah. So, you know, for, for putting maybe the context of now, like work for a great company like Mind Valley for seven years, was an executive there, an author, host on that platform as well. Um, I get to write my book about selling with love, which I'm very excited about living a lifestyle in Bali, which, you know, has been absolutely incredible. Um, I'm surrounded by great people. I have a lifestyle that really aligns to the things I desire. And so I'm feeling blessed every single day. Right. And the journey is to be like, oh yeah, I knew since I was 15, that this was exactly where I was going to end up is absolute bull crap. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I'm actually originally from Canada uh, I did go to university and, uh, I remember at a time, <laughs> uh, this will be funny to share, but you know, I, I had to kind of do the, the choice of what I wanted to study in university. And I had been accepted in three fields, which was mathematics, computer engineering, and business school. And I didn't know how to make the pick. And I just, you know, the, the only parameter I could think about is, well, I wonder which one of them will make girls like me more. And so I chose business, <laughs> but not that, you know, I, I look back and I think computer engineering actually would have been probably a better choice at this point. Um, 
but you know, I was just trying to figure out things and business seemed to be the one that I could apply everywhere else and uh, went to business school. Interestingly enough, you, you study management and realize they don't teach you a lot about running a business, but how to be a manager within an organization. And when came close time to graduate, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had worked for the government of Canada, wasn't really excited about that idea. I mean, it provided a very safe path because I had graduated from university. It was like, the moment you graduate, we give you a job. You can keep it for 35 years. There's a ton of opportunities of moving up and making a difference within this government, um, you know, ecosystem paid well, very safe, all the benefits. And I was like, doesn't sound exciting for me. And I didn't really like my experience. I wanted to do more. And then I went to these career fairs and, you know, there was these management training program. And they were like, when you go through this management training program, you'll end up making 50,000 a year. And I was like, what? I think I want to do more than that, you know? And uh, it was by chance I ended up, you know, my sister was working in a real estate company and she's like, hey, they're looking for somebody to be a salesperson there. You should give it a shot. And I was like, sales, that sounds like I didn't go to university. I don't need to go to university for that. Why would I take all this university education and go and waste it in sales? Mm -hmm. But I went to give it a shot. And it was interesting because now I realized that when you did that, there was a flexible compensation model. And it was actually doing sales over the phone. And it was to book appointments for realtors. At first, it felt like cold calling. The first call I did, I was so terrified. And the person hung up on me and I was like, my boss walked in right then. And I'm like, pale as a ghost, sweating, heart rate racing. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't think I can do this. These people are, they, they hung up on me. And he was like, I swear this doesn't happen. But it, And then he's laughing because it just so happened that that was the lesson the universe wanted to give me right then and there. And so then I started to do it again. And I followed a script. And I started realizing people were responding in predictable ways. And I was able to lead them to find answers to their problems and meeting quality realtors that were actually helping them find their perfect home. And I was like, this is great. And I was like, sales is really powerful. And, you know, a long story short is I ended up, you know, starting my own company in, you know, investing in U.S. real estate, teaching Canadians how to do that with the assistance of a company that was educating me finding out that that company was teaching me a lot of the wrong things, went through a bit of a downward cycle and had to rebuild everything I was doing with new information. Um, and then eventually I started helping other Canadians how to do the same the right way and found myself within Mind Valley's doors. And so that's a very quick run through some of the past, but through that, I ended up relocating to the West of Canada, moving to Thailand, which got me in proximity of Malaysia, where the headquarters of Mind Valley's are. And that kind of started the journey as to why I'm here in Southeast Asia. There's a lot there for me to sort of unpack for my audience. I know it was like the quick style version. Um, but there's just, yeah, so many stories there. I know I could pull out. <laughs> but the one that interests me the most, I guess, is I come from a technically a sales background as well, being in real estate for a period of time. So I understand what it takes to become a, a good salesman at that. Uh, what did you learn that, or how, how would you describe a good salesman rather than a bad salesman? What does it take to become a good salesman? Is there any real distinctions or is it just, I'm going to make a bunch of sales that makes me a good salesman? That's, that's interesting because that definition of good is so different based on who you're asking, you know, a company who's looking at the bottom line will define a good salesman, just like you've mentioned. They're just moving the needle at any cost. And the whole premise around my book is not to differentiate between a good or a bad salesperson, but really the energy 
that or the emotion that people are selling from dictates how successful the sale is. And so for me, the ultimate goal is not to be a good salesman, but is to be able to sell with love. And that's the pinnacle of being effective in sales. And the way that I describe it is when you sell with love, you actually come with a different type of energy when you get into a sales conversation. And it is effective because you're leading, moving people from a place of problem to finding the ideal solution. And you care enough and take responsibility to lead them to that answer, knowing that you have to have uncomfortable conversations around money. If you have money blocks, you're willing to walk through that and help people understand that the value that you're going to provide is so much more than what you're asking in return. And so I think a salesperson that can walk forward with that mindset makes them unstoppable to hit those numbers without compromising the brand of the company. Because there's a bit of that, there's that detail that most companies can't measure, which is what is the brand result of every sales interaction? And I've seen this so many times where you could find a good salesperson who, let's use the metrics because sales often measures metrics. If every hundred conversations I have, an average salesperson, let's say, sells to five of them. And then you have another salesperson who for every 15 of the 100 is a sale. And so on phase value, you start evaluating, well, one of them is three times more effective. But what we don't look at is what condition are the non-buyers left in? Yeah. And if the person who sold 15 out of 100 leaves 85 people feeling completely inalienated, distrust, and bad-mouthing the company versus the one that's selling five leaves 95 feeling excited, hopeful, referring the company and maybe buying in the future, that's a metric that's a little more nuanced and difficult to measure and can differentiate what a good salesperson really looks like. Yeah. Can we break down the term selling with love a little bit more? Because I think there, there is a lot there. Uh, so for example, removing or getting past the idea that sale, all salesmen bad they just want your money that sort of thing so what are some ways that we can actually sell with love and what do you really mean by saying okay i'm gonna sell love with love <laughs> you know what i mean you bring flowers everywhere jay that's it you just that's, need to bring that's flowers <laughs> so let, let's start with defining how do you show up from selling with love right and you know in my book i define sales as an energy exchange between conscious beings you're just exchanging energy. And when I speak for, of energy as a term is because it includes the product and service you're about to offer is energy. The money that you ask in return is stored energy. The time and investment that it takes is energy. And then I also add the fact that most people forget one piece of that equation is actually emotion is an energy that happens in every transaction. And so to sell with love, I'll reiterate, is when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, Love is what balances the equation on both the buyer and the seller side. So how do we put this into tangible terms, right? Well, in the book, I actually lay out five loves of selling that people can work towards, work on, and improve so that they can show up with that kind of energy in every sales transaction. Yeah. And I'll list all five, and then we can dig into the ones you feel are going to be more relevant for your audience, Jay. The first love in selling is love the impact. The second love is love the buyer. The third love is love the product. The fourth love is love the process. And the fifth love is love the self. And so 
With that, Jay, I would leave you the opportunity to pick. Where would you like to start? And which one do you feel would be the best to unpack? Well, I got a question coming from all those five. Is one more important than the other, or do you need all five in a uh, continual way every single time you go into selling something? I usually start with the first one and work your way, and they all show up in different ways. I, I would say the first three loves are actually your foundation. This actually allows you to have the right intentions in every way you show up in sales. Yeah. The fourth one, which is love the process, is really the technique that you can work on and improve to be more effective in sales. And here's the catch. If you become very effective at the sales process, but you haven't given any thought to the product, the buyer, or the impact, then you can become what you've labeled as those manipulative, evil salespeople that know the tricks to psychologically manipulate people. And so if all you do is work on your sales process and love doing that, then you've become an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> but then the last one being the love the self, oh, that's the, that's the journey of a lifetime. And that's okay. one that you're always continuously improving. And you know, for people that are listening here yeah, to the Storybox podcast, I mean, you're already someone that's learning new perspective. You're investing in yourself. So already you are on that journey. So you would probably relate to that one the most. But where most people forget the magic is when you truly love the impact, the buyer and the product, you become so powerful as a salesperson. Yeah. I think loving oneself is super important because it gives you a little bit of confidence to go in and, you know, sell, <laughs> sell the right way, not sell the wrong way. Um, how about if there is a buyer that is very, very difficult to love? <laughs> what do we do then? Yeah. Well, an example of a, like a buyer that's difficult to love, they could be very nagging, maybe highly demanding. You're going to come. The best example that I could compare this to is being in a relationship with someone that's very dysfunctional. You know, have you ever been in love with someone that, you know, has their own issues and you feel like it's your responsibility to try to help them. You become a bit of that savior in the process. I mean, I've been through this process and, uh, you know, when you're in the middle of it, you're kind of trying so hard and spending so much energy to make it work. And I think in sales, if you've done the work and particularly loving the self, uh, you might start realizing that there's some buyers that can be a little challenging, but once you win them over, they'll become your biggest fans. And they're just trying to ensure that what you're providing is true value. And you got to respect those buyers. They're going to be your best clients. There are others that are just not ready to be buyers. And you have to be in a position where you can realize that you need to let go of some buyers because you're not the best person to serve them. And just like in a relationship, that's a hard realization to come to, especially yeah. if you're in a place of scarcity in your mind. If you're in a business and you have a bad buyer and that's the only buyer you have, you know, it becomes a very difficult choice to have. Mm -hmm. Yet the difference between relationships and in sales is there's no cultural preference for monogamy. Um, and so depending on what your preferences are, of course, uh, I'm not going to go make judgments of your lifestyle, but in sales, you can have many buyers. You can keep prospecting while you're working with an existing buyer. And I think that gives you a lot more liberty to realize that as much as you're trying to sell to the buyer, you're also ensuring that the buyer is selling to you because there's an energy exchange, not a taking, not a giving an exchange. Both are in play. And so the more you get to sell from a place of love, you're stating the values and the impact and the reasons why you sell. You're understanding the buyer and attracting the people you want to work with. 
and you're presenting a product that you know solve their problem. So if they're being difficult, you might be just putting the brakes on saying, hey, listen, this might not be the best product for you. I would encourage you to go shop other ways. I have plenty of people within my pipeline. And when you come from that place of abundance, it's not like you're abandoning them or giving up. It's because you've become clear on who are the people you can truly serve and make that real impact. I feel like there is a lot of experience behind this, which includes some stories <laughs> that uh, would you be able to, and, and do you actually share some stories regarding those difficult buyers in your book that you could maybe share with us? Well, Jay, I'd have to admit, I've not had as many difficult buyers in my life. So hmm. not as many personal experiences with bad buyers, but I've witnessed what happens when you, have these buyers that can be very demanding. I'll tell you one, uh, it's a story of back when I was working for a company, um, because after this, you know, I told you the journey, how I was running my company, I was doing real estate investments. And then I realized things were a little wrong. I had to make some big changes. And what eventually happened is I started working for a company that was teaching Canadians how to buy us real estate. And through my experience of learning the wrong way, I kind of became the best person to kind of train the people and how to do it the right way. And I've noticed there was these, there was these people that would come to the training and they would buy everything, but they weren't getting the success that we were, they were expecting, but they were always buying for the sake of that feeling you get of satisfaction and relief from the purchase. And it was a bit of a dysfunctional purchase behavior. And I think that's one of the more difficult things to face in a buyer uh, is when you're noticing that they're making some decisions that are maybe not going to serve them the best, even though they're ready to buy, sometimes you need to realize that maybe you shouldn't be selling. And if I actually, as I share this story, I had a more recent example that was actually within my own business is uh, I was doing these coaching programs for teaching people how to sell with love. And they're very effective programs, especially with people that already have existing products. We can really turbocharge the sales. And I had an individual who came to me and he, he had basically changed industry. Uh, didn't have a product yet, wanted to buy my product. And they said, listen, I'm on government subsidy right now, like getting payments from the government. Uh, I only have a couple more checks to keep me through the next few months, but I want to give you thousands of dollars right now because I know within 30 days, you'll be able to change everything for me and I'll be able to start making some money. And then I realized like, oh, I could take the money, but I don't think I should. And I didn't. I wrote back to them saying like, hey, there's some other foundational work that you need to be on. And I'm not the best person to provide you the solution that you're looking for. And so I think when it comes to difficult buyers, if they're an annoying buyer, someone those are the easy no's. What are the most difficult no's is having a true self-assessment of realizing, are you the best person to serve this individual, this buyer? And again, if you're coming from a place of love, saying no is often the most loving thing you can do. Yeah, that's very true. I've noticed that in my own experience, if I can't give them something, I'll just, yeah, I'll admit it to them. I'll be honest, better to be honest than not honest. And then you burn them. <laughs> you're burning all the bridges in between too. <laughs> and, yeah. you ruin, and again, you ruin your own integrity. And again, it speaks to that difference between the five sales versus 15 sales I've mentioned earlier. You want to sleep at night. Yeah. You know, we're all looking for that. You know, you asked what success looks like earlier in the session. Uh, success is knowing that every time you do your deed, you can go to bed and sleep well at night. And I think there's, you know, within my book, I do speak of the different, like the major emotions people sell from, if you're not selling from love. And there's some of those emotions that you just find yourself being drawn towards mental health issues, addiction issues, because 
you cannot go to bed at night with the sales that you've made. They've been manipulative. Um, they've been selfish. And that just is not a way that we want to function as human beings. Yeah. How many emotions are there that you talk about in your book? I highlight four major categories. Um, you know, they start with shame and guilt blockages. They go into what I call the fear pride paradox, which is the, an example that I'm talking here is when you're selling from a place of scarcity or pride where you're basically selling because it feels good for you and brings for you, but you're not taking responsibility for the sales you make. I also speak about rational sabotage, which is a very interesting one. It's a tricky one because it feels like you're trying to be more caring, but really you're giving the responsibility of the sale to the buyer. And I see so many people that are particularly starting in businesses and I serve that struggle. They're like, yeah, they, they're just like, yeah, the people will come. They'll tell me when they want to buy. They feel very reluctant about pushing the sale because if you go and you push a sale, right? It's not about you being evil. If you truly believe in your product, you can push a sale the same way that if you truly want to support your friend who maybe is trying to, you know, get in the best shape of their life and they're feeling a little lazy in the morning and they wanted to go to the gym and now they're not, you can go and rattle him from the bed or her from the bed and tell him, put your shoes on, we're going to the gym and they're going to thank you for it after. That's pushy and that's a good thing. But where the rational sabotage gets tricky is you realize you don't do any of the pushing so that you don't need to take any responsibility of what happens. And that's a bit of a rational sabotage. Mm. And so what I really want to be able to do is help people transcend and remove what blocks come from whatever level that you're at. Some of the reasons you feel negatively are actually for legitimate reasons because you need to make some changes. But once you've made those changes, you can step into that fourth emotion, which I call selling with love, which is not just about bringing the flowers. It's really a big mindset and a preparation that allows you to show up enthusiastically like a leader, taking responsibility and moving that energy. Do you ever get sick of talking about this? No. No, I don't. This is why I love it. Like every time I get on a show and I'm speaking about it, it's a different story. There's always the same core, but I'm always getting a chance to iterate it in a different way. And I get amazed sometimes in the way that I structure the story on what are new informations that kind of come to me, you could say, but I feel so in flow when I get to share about this, which is kind of one of the reasons that I feel like this is the calling that I have. This is what I need to create and talk about because it's so effortless for me, Jay. Like you could just tell me and be like, hey, Jason, like you need to talk for four hours. Great. Let me help. Although I do have a timer, so maybe not today, but <laughs> <laughs> next time, man, <laughs> next time. But it's, it's so crazy. It's like, there's this thing that happens when you can, when you can sell from this place is that time really starts flying and, and then you can go to bed and you're like, wow, I've made so much happen today and you feel good about it. And I think that's, that's a feeling that a lot more of us need to experience because it truly is a liberating feeling. Is everyone born a salesman? No. And I will also say some of the best salespeople are actually the ones that are not born salespeople. They're the um, on the tour. Because when you have to learn, you can learn correctly. Yeah. I actually feel sometimes, well, it's interesting because I, I think I do feel like I was a natural salesperson myself. I mean, I had, I had a great story. You'll like this one actually, Jay. Um, most of us have a negative sales interaction when we were younger that kind of creates the initial shame and guilt blockages, right? You're like, you know, you have a history of a parent that might've said like, Hey, no means no, stop asking. And like, that's the childhood memory that can really traumatize people. And even professional salespeople still have trouble following up because you'll, you'll get that rejection and you'll be hurt. And then that's a, that's a whole other thing we could unpack. 
in my case, my first sales story that I, I share in the book and is I was in school in high school and they asked us to do a charity drive to go sell these like chocolate covered almonds. <laughs> and this was, this was like, okay. And then it supports charity. So I had to go knock door to door to my neighbors and is these like $2, $2 chocolates. And I remember going to the first door and I'm like, Hey, would you guys like some chocolates? And people would be like, great chocolate. Love it. They give me $2. I get support charity. They feel good. I feel good. I think those are the first anchors of sales that I've had, which I was like, wow, the buyer's enjoying the fact that I came to knock and they got something that they valued. And I got the tune and I got the support charity seems simplistic, but it feels good. And what happened is I did this for five, six doors and I was getting a continuous response. that was pretty positive. And then by like the last door that I went to knock at, it was it was interesting. The lady opens the door and I'm like, I would you like some of these chocolate covered almonds and they're for charity. And I'm doing this with the local school. And she's like, well, hold on a second. Let me ask my daughter if she wants any. And then the daughter came down the stairs and it was this like beautiful woman that was my age that I didn't know because she was going to English school. I was going to the French school and I was just like jaw dropped. They ended up buying the chocolates. I also ended up getting the number. And then this person ends up being one of my first partners. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's by no coincidence that I have a book called selling with love. Uh, cause one of my first loves was the result of selling. Um, so for those who might not have had such positive experiences as their first one in sales, um, I think once you start looking into your past and doing some work of, Hey, there's a lot of the amazing things that I have in my life today are a result of sales, whether that's the relationship that you're in now, like somebody had to go and would, can I buy you a drink if it was in a bar and it was a classic, um, or if you're finding yourself married, a sales process happened, you went, will you marry me? Or if it's not that method, maybe you were more someone that was taking care of themselves, showing up at places and putting yourself out there, prospecting. Mm -hmm. Sales shows up in so many forms in our lives. And I think once you've actually put it in a box and labeled it as something you are not, you hold yourself back from so many beautiful opportunities, whether it's in a professional or personal level. And so, yeah, some people might not be born salespeople, but you can definitely learn the process. And when I suggest for people to realize and get clear on the impact, getting clear on who they want to serve, getting clear with selling a product they're proud of, then you get excited about learning about sales because you realize the process of selling isn't about manipulation. It's actually about empathy. It's mm -hmm. a language that is necessary for people to understand the value you want to provide to them. So just like learning a new language, it can be exciting. Well, that's the right way it should be done. <laughs> but there are exactly. people out there we know that do take it a little bit further. I mean, I know my experiences of sales and being taught the way things should be done in quotation marks there. Me, it just went against everything that I stood for and believed in. And so I created my own version of sales that worked for me based on what they were trying to teach me, if that makes sense at all. Like, so I feel like there oh, are yeah. these levels of, you've got, you got the big sales that a lot of people, you know, multi-million dollar deals, that sort of thing. And you got the smaller ones that you were rattling off there a little bit before. Um, so yeah, I, I think that everyone life is about sales in some respect, like you just gotta be, you gotta get better at it. And I think being informed like this sort of stuff is helpful. It is useful. And hopefully people can take on board what you're saying, man, and, and apply it to their own life in the best possible way. Cause it sounds great. Selling with love. <laughs> Who doesn't like love?
Yeah. But then how do you put it into practice? It's just like in real life, everybody wants to fall in love, but what are the disciplines? What are the practices that really help you be more respectful, open, communicative, uh, and growing with your partner? Uh, that's not the, that's not the, the romantic movie you see in Hollywood. That's the real work of life. And so there is a difference yet. What I'm hoping to do is inspire people to understand that that option exists. It is beautiful and you can work towards it. And if I can open people to that opportunity, because sales doesn't just need to be that wolf of Wall Street image, which is essentially ripping people off. Why would you want to be that way? It leaves you isolated. It leaves you numbing yourself to the reality of the effects of the energy exchange you do. And we got we to gotta expect better and we got to do better. Yeah. And I think, you know, particularly today, there's a climate of a high uncertainty. Uh, truth is hard to find. And so we have these people that could use sales in a very manipulative way to take advantage of people. So there's another big aspect as to why I've written this book that I'm hoping will inspire people to make changes. It's not for the sellers. It's for the buyers. Yeah. I want buyers to become more conscious of every choice they make because in every exchange, in every sale, you're slowly shaping the world to be more of what you are buying. Yeah. And so how do you start asking better questions when you're about to buy something so you don't get caught in being taken advantage of, being ripped off, and actually expecting more from sellers? And that shift is already happening big time. Internet, bless it, has been helping the shift into turning salespeople as gatekeepers of information to curators of information and guides for buyers. And buyers, they just won't put up with the, the sleazy type of salesperson. We don't like the feeling. So that breed is slowly dying out. And here's what I've noticed as well, Jay. I'm not the only one who's preaching this. I'm not alone. There are many books that have come out in the last two years that are my allies in pushing this message forward. I have Larry Levine who wrote Selling from the Heart. I have, uh, I have Sarah... And, and I, I forget her last name. So I'm sorry, Sarah, if you're listening to this, but she talks about selling like we're human. And there's multiple other people who are advocating for this mission in their own variety. And to me, I'm trying to find ways to collaborate, to push this message forward. Because my big thing is, how do we stop douchey salespeople and marketers from taking advantage of people? Because I went through that and I don't wish it upon anybody else. So let's make the rise of the ethical businesses by teaching them to sell eth ethically. <laughs> I think you're doing a great job at it, man. Like that's from my personal perspective. So just want to congratulate you on that. And I think this book is going to help a lot of people. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. So I wanted to ask you now, man, a couple more questions if you don't mind. But uh, what would you say has been the most vulnerable moment you write in this book or the most vulnerable sale you've ever done? I think for the book, and the entire journey of writing a book, it's, uh, it's not like writing a blog post or it's not like writing a social media post. It's an investment. It's, it's a long project. And uh, for this one, it took two years. Yeah. And what's very interesting is that I went through a workshop to learn to write a book because I didn't know how. I felt like I needed guidance, paid good money for it too. And I went to do this workshop. And you know what was funny? The, the biggest portion of that workshop was actually handling the fears that come from writing a book. That was it. And then realizing what are the things that stop you from writing a book? I actually have a document that lists all the fears that I have. And some of these range from, you know, people, um, people won't buy my book and they won't care. Uh, people think it's a shitty book. 
Um, people will say like, wow, what a terrible writer. Um, what a waste of trees. Uh, people will be like, wow, you remember when you said you were going to write a book and you never do it? I was afraid that I would give up halfway and uh, I wouldn't push through. So immediately, all of these uh, were brought up in the open at the beginning of the project. And from that, I started writing out what were the worst case scenarios for all these fears. And I was mean to myself. But then I started realizing that what are actions I can do to mitigate those risks? Uh, and this was a process that was done with Scribe, which were the company I worked with. And it was inspired by Tim Ferriss's talk about fear setting, which was more powerful than goal setting. He's what he said. And then what happened is when I had this list, I could always go back to it and refer to it when I had those insecurities that came up while I was working on the book. So yeah, I had moments I was writing, it was flowy. I had times I couldn't even look at my book and edit it. And you know, it wasn't two years of writing every day and all the time. It was mostly a couple of days of intense flow state writing epically and editing epically. And then lots of times of dreaming like, oh my God, this feels so big. Um, and again, it speaks to kind of the waves that I was speaking about earlier in the session, which is when you're in your peak states and you're crunching, Sometimes you just ride that wave like a surf, you know, you, you wait, 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 and then there's a beautiful flow moment and then you ride it further. So I would say that that has been the continuous journey. And like, as it's coming now that the book is out, it's, it's fascinating uh, to look back at that journey. And I have to say, I'm proud that I put it together and I put myself out where I took the risk because I realized the impact from the message was more important than the fears that were holding me back. And is it the perfect book? No. Hopefully people are getting massive transformation from it. That is my genuine hope. And from there, it begins the journey to continue to advocate for this message. So I would say that's the most vulnerable part for the book. Um, now, if you want to talk about the sale, haven't thought about this one yet, but you know, what I shared earlier, I think was a pretty interesting one when I had this person telling me that they were ready to give me all their money so that they, I could take them out of their situation and realizing I couldn't help them. And having to write an email to say, I'm sorry, but I cannot take your money is it sucks because I, I want to help, but I also have to realize that I can't help everybody. I have a lane of a specific type of person that I need to help maximize the impact. And you know, my, my goal is to remind myself that when I specifically help the people that I know I can help, then the ripple effect of them being ethical businesses, becoming more effective in the way they operate allows for more abundance to happen in a world. It's a, it's a tie that is being lifted for everyone else. And we're starting to see a future we more want to see. And so I'm hoping that it reduces pain and suffering for some of the people that I cannot help directly. I like how you mentioned you wrote down all, all those fears uh, regarding writing a book. I mean, I gave up halfway through writing mine because <laughs> it, it is hard. And you do have those days where you're worried whether or not you are a good writer uh, whether or not people will read the book, that sort of thing. Like, but when you get over it and hopefully if those people that are considering writing a book, you hopefully you do get over it, you end up with this incredible proud moment at the very end and you're like, hey, I did this. I overcame this. I mean, sure, I was hard on myself for a period of time, but I guess that's that comes with the whole process, right, of learning how to overcome and, and be a better author. Um, but yeah, I just, I like how you mentioned all those things and writing them down and how you were actually hard on yourself. <laughs> um, well, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's actually a part of the exercise that he made us do is like, think of anything you're afraid of. Like if there's one thing you're afraid and like, what is the worst 
case scenario, I, I should almost pull it up and just read you one of these things. It was like people saying that my book was just a waste of trees. Like it was, it was just a savage. <laughs> That's a good little, one. <laughs> right. I was like, people will just remember saying like, oh yeah, you wasted all those trees. How dare you? <laughs> I was like, okay, calm down. Um, hold on. I have it right here actually. So, um, so yeah, I wrote that one of my fears and, and I'm reading now cause I, I just pulled it up is my book will suck and be a hack job. <laughs> like that was one of my dreams that I was going to hack my book. And then I wrote, what's the worst consequence was that people will review how half-assed my book is. And I will associate it with how half-assed of a human being that I am Goodness like me. that was harsh. Right. But that was part of the exercise. Then it's like, okay what's the plan that you can put in place to prevent this from happening? That was the next stage. So then I went, well, I worked with a company that had amazing editors that allowed to review the book and bring it to the glory that it deserves for the message I want to bring to the work. And so what is this energy? Um, like if I could use this fear as energy to positively impact me, how would that look like? I said, well, I'm going to regret, I'm going to, can I use an F? I'm not going to say the F word, but I'm going to paraphrase it. So I said, how can I use this fear to help me? I wrote, well, I'm going to make my book effing awesome. Like that's how I took that fear. And I'm like, yeah, I'm afraid of this, but I'm going to shift it to make sure it is the damn best book that can be out there. And so from there, uh, I, I started shifting on the benefits of myself, the benefits for um, the people who get my book. And again, it's, it was a process that's so aligned with how I teach about selling with love as well. So I was like, wow, this is, this is powerful. And I suggest it for anybody who has their fears as well. Well, I didn't write any of those down, but I was thinking about them. <laughs> Most all do. So yeah, it's just, you yeah. don't have to write them down. Although it might be better to write them down and then cross them out. That's a technique that I use. And I talk about in my own book at, towards the end of limiting beliefs. So if you think you can't do something, then write out what you think you can't do, cross it out, and then write what you think you can do, or what, and then change it to, I know I can do it, and let me show you how. So that sort of thing. Um, but I'm happy for you, man. Like, I, I can't wait for this book to get unleashed into the world. Where do you want people to get a copy of the book and, and learn more about you before I ask you the final two questions? Yeah, so um, for everybody, the easiest way to find uh, sellingwithlove.com you can see the podcast. You'll see a link to the book as well. Pick it up on Amazon. It'll be available there. Of course, anybody who picks up a copy, if you do take the time to leave a review, it is so helpful for an author to not only get other people to recognize the value of the book, but also for us to be able to get as authors the feedback necessary for future iterations of the book and be able to create things that complement the book to support you even further on that journey. Uh, and then can always come on social media, come and say hello. And uh, if I can give a sales tip for people that is very tangible, I think LinkedIn is one of the more powerful platforms to be using today. And so if you find me on LinkedIn, which is Jason Mark Campbell, send me a connection request, but add a note, always add a note when you connect with somebody and say, Hey, I just heard you on the story box podcast. Maybe there's something you've enjoyed, share that with me. And I'd love to be able to connect with you individually. I'll make sure everyone knows all about that, where to find the links, you name it. But final two questions for you, my friends. What do you love the most about yourself and your story? I've never been asked that question, but I'll answer it genuinely. Um, because it seems like a lot of the stories of success has a massive rags to riches element because it makes it relatable. 
you know, a lot of people are speaking about like, you know, I lost everything. And, you know, then I came out from the ashes and I've had my fair share of struggles, but I'll tell you, Jay, throughout my entire life, I feel like I've been so lucky, so blessed. And I didn't want the fact that I didn't have a traumatic experience stop me from doing things that can genuinely help other people. So I'm extremely grateful that I had a family that was very loving and caring out in Canada. I'm so grateful that I have a community of people around me. Um, you know, I could say like, yeah, I've created my own luck, but I just, I sometimes feel there's powers that are working beyond me. So I never want to take for granted the amount of luck and gratitude that I feel for everything that I have today. And it's given me the foundation to be able to share the message on this platform, to develop my skills. Like there's more than just our own responsibility there. There's so other forces at play. And I just feel like I've had call it the, the angels, the guardians, the energies have been blessing me throughout. So, um, I just want to acknowledge that. And, um, yeah, that's the honest truth. I feel very blessed. Well, I, thank you so much for being honest and, and open with that answer. Yeah. Um, my final question for you, my friend, this is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the end. If you've listened to my, my show, you, you kind of know what's coming. I hope you know what's coming, <laughs> but it's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Yeah, that's such a powerful question. And uh, I've, I've done... I've done some exercises that, you know, would pull out some of these deeper questions that kind of cut away all the crap, right? This really goes to the core of it. And so for me, it's like, it would just show moments of times that I was caring and kind. Like if they were going to show me a highlight is just like, they, they would witness all the little things that I did, just going a little extra mile, not to be recognized for it, but I decided to just choose caring, choose kindness. That would make me cry. And then I'd like, you know, for every one of those moments, they'd just be like, look, Jason, we saw when you just decided to do this action at that point and highlighting all those moments. I think that's, if we can start doing more of those things, I think we start making the world a, a little bit better. And at my hundredth birthday, if somebody could magically pull up all those moments and showcase them, oh, that would be, that would be a life well lived right there. Or I can imagine. Dude, thank you so much for your time, for your stories, your wisdom, your advice, and for helping people to think about becoming better salespeople, selling with love. You've done that today <laughs> with, with yourself pretty much. So just can I say thank you so much, man, for your time and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Jay, it was an absolute pleasure. And I hope for the people listening, they've gotten the value they were looking for and hoping to connect with them eventually. really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit 
from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Story Box. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Story Box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.